guys, Montel here, and thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, where I got to tell you, I am so thrilled. I'm uh, thrilled is an understatement of having the guests that I have with us today. Please welcome my guest. He's a former active duty Green Beret. He's a world traveler, a philanthropist, a community leader, and a former member of the Seattle Seahawks. He earned his bachelor's degree, uh, bachelor's of science degree in physical culture and sports, and a master's degree of arts degree or master, sorry, master's of arts degree in advertising from the University of Texas. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. Nate Boyer. Nate, thank you so much for being here today, sir. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Good to be here. I do. Let me, let me jump right from the very beginning and say thank you for your service, my friend. Same. Same to you. Appreciate you. Absolutely, sir. Look, why don't you back up and tell, take us on a little journey because, you know, when we were looking up your stuff on Wikipedia, it was a little bit confusing. Then... Take me on a journey of basically your, your life. I mean, you, you go in the military right after graduating from high school. What did you do? Yeah, no, no I, I didn't. Uh, but yes, it is confusing. The timeline is a bit confusing. I, I, I graduated high school uh, and I moved. I was, I was from the Bay Area, grew up there, played pretty much every sport except football um, and regretted not playing. So that's important for later in the story. But graduated, moved down to San Diego and uh, started working on a fishing boat down there, down there in Point Loma. Uh, the sport fishing docks did that then in the on the off season when they weren't fishing when we didn't have the charter boats going out I was doing uh, the bike taxi the pedicab down there so I did that for about a year and then I moved up to Los Angeles because I was actually interested in uh, film and television I, I didn't want to ask my parents to send me to film school because I didn't really well part of it was the money but also it was like I wasn't sure if I was committed to it or anything like that and uh, I ended up just kind of uh, drifting for a while you know not really sure who I was or what I wanted. And then 9-11 happened. Uh, didn't join the military right after that either, but it definitely got me thinking about it a lot more. And, and uh, I ended up uh, backpacking a bit overseas and, and went to the Darfur and did some relief work there uh, at a refugee camp, a couple of refugee camps uh, along the, the Chadian and Sudanese border. And it was at that time that I felt inspired to join the military. It was from helping those people, uh, seeing how appreciative they were, that an American would leave what he had to, to go over there. Um, but also I wanted to fight for people like that, you know, and fight for those that could, can't fight for themselves. And uh, my last week over there, I ended up getting malaria. And I remember listening to the Marines uh, that were going into the second battle of Fallujah and these brave men and women that were over there risking everything for these people. And I just felt inspired to, to come back home and, and uh, join the military. And, and when I came back, I, found out about the army special forces and the green berets and the, 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 the motto, which is de oppresso libera, which means to free the oppressed. All those things inspired me. And, and that was the reason I signed up for the army and, and went on that journey. And let us talk a little bit about that journey, man. Cause I think you should be proud of what you were able to do. What, what tours did you serve? Where were you at? I went to Iraq uh, once and I, and I went to Afghanistan twice, uh, three deployments. I also, yeah, you know, I did uh, missions over in Bulgaria and Greece uh, in Israel, uh, I was stationed in Okinawa for a while. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a great experience. Like just culturally what you learn um, on a deployment and beyond, you know, what you're fighting for and the mission that you have. I think what I took away from it, what's helped me a lot moving forward with my life was just a perspective and understanding and like listening to people that have different cultures, customs, opinions about things and understanding that, you know, my feelings, my emotions, 
they're all based on my experiences. You know, I think people understand that, but we just, we easily forget it, you know? So like my beliefs, what I stand for, that's because of what I've seen and what I've, I've you know, I've uh, persevered through or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, and so it helped me because especially in the Middle East, there were so many things I just couldn't wrap my head around. and couldn't understand. And, it, you know, at, at some level it had to be like, look, I do understand what we have in common. Um, for the most part, we all want what's best for our family, what's best for um, our country, what's best for ourselves. Uh, and we want to feel safe and secure and loved and all those things. So when you get down to the weeds and the nitty gritty on like religion and politics and all this stuff. Like, yeah, we're going to have a lot of differences. Uh, but if you can get past that and just speak to people and listen to people as human beings, um, I mean, you get a lot of growth out of that. And that's that's what I carried forward more than anything, more than anything I did ever did it, you know, in combat or whatever. That's something that I think a lot more people in this country need to be thinking about right now today. And I think it will get us farther forward than we are. But we'll come back to that in a minute. So now got out of the service and decided to go to college, right? Yep. So I got out. Uh, I came off of active duty in 2010. I went back to college. And after just a few months, uh, I missed it. I missed the brotherhood, the, the, the camaraderie, the mission, the purpose, all those things in the military. So I actually, I re-enlisted into the, into the Texas National Guard when I was, uh, before my sophomore year. And in doing so, uh, I committed to, yeah, I was going to go to college. You know, I, I, I walked onto the football team, fulfilled that dream of, of, of playing ball and making it. But also I had the opportunity now to still serve and to still, I was fortunate because I volunteered to do it. I wanted to do it to be able to go back overseas in the summer between school. So I had a very different college experience. I mean, I was 10 years older than the other freshmen, first of all, you know, and I'm the old man in the locker room, on the football team with the least amount of experience on the field. But I had different life experience, obviously. And uh, so I, I treasured that it was a it was a very unique college experience. But um, but I, I loved it. NFL was not in your head at that point in time, right? At all. I mean, it was in my wildest dreams, but not in like any time, any, any reality. I mean, I wasn't even playing at first, my first year and a half, I didn't play at all until I picked up long snapping, you know, and I found a, I found for me a niche, uh, a thankless job that not a lot of people wanted to do that doesn't require the, you know, the power and speed and athleticism. It required the precision and a consistency which I was much better at, you know, in the endurance, like I, I, I was able to block certain things out and focus because of a lot of the military training, but I'm never going to run a four, four I'm never going to be a great athlete. And I had to accept that and that's fine, but I could still find a way to contribute and be a part of the team. And so I, you know, I, I think, I think if I would have played when I was younger, I probably wouldn't have gone for it because I would have known what I was up against. But also if I didn't serve in the military, there's no way I would have uh, tried out for the team, much less thought of like, you know, kind of innovated and found a, a a position in long snapping that I could maybe compete at and then had that work ethic to put in the repetitions and eventually earn the spot. Yeah, I mean, I think I guess I'm sure that the military ingrained in you that fact that and being a Green Beret, there's nothing that you can't do. So if you put your mind to it, you work at it, you practice it, you train at it, you can be proficient at it, correct? Absolutely correct. I mean, that's it's like, I mean, you know, you get this mindset or belief, at least, even if it's not true, <laughs> that not only is nothing impossible, but like you don't even you don't know how to quit. You forget how to quit. <laughs> it's like taken away from that option. It's not an option. It's taken away from you. So like unless it's something that's harmful, you know, like quitting smoking, like, yeah, you want to quit. 
that's a, that's a good thing to quit. But if it's something, uh, you know, the, a dream that you have, a goal that you have, um, you may never attain it, but you don't know how to quit. You know, you just keep going. And, and I had a few things go my way too. you know, opportunities, doors opened and I ran through them. I didn't wait. Um, but yeah, without, without the training, there's no way. Look, the fact that you were drafted as a free agent by the Seattle Seahawks, I talked to them. First off, let, let's back up. And, <laughs> okay, you're playing college football, you and you received a lot. Go ahead and pat yourself on the back and talk about a couple of the awards that you got in your, in your senior year, right? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I will say this. On the field, you know, I never made a lot of tackles, um, you know, and, but at the same time, uh, you know, a kick never got blocked because of me. I never had a, a really, really bad snap, uh, and I am proud of that. And, you know, and I always did what I could. If I got ran over, I got ran over with dignity and made sure that that kick didn't get blocked, you know. And it was cool, and it was cool to see my teammates, the guys on my left and right on the, on the line of scrimmage, you know, 300-pound dudes. They knew I was, you know, I was a little guy and that uh, and I was an old, frail uh, man, <laughs> you know. But they were going to make damn sure there's no way – I'm going to let him down, you know? And so that was cool. I took pride in that. And then, you know, I got put on the, uh, I got put on the all American academic team, which yeah, it sounds nerdy, but like you have to do decent on the field to get considered for that as well. And, uh, and you know, I so saw I was a first team academic all American. I was a finalist for the Campbell trophy, which is a big, it's like the highs academic Heisman. Um, and then I was on the all state good works team, which was really, really cool, really special honor. And, uh, yeah, and Big 12 Sports Person of the Year, and then the National Football Foundation, um, they gave me their Legacy Award, which is like, I mean, they, they do it at the Hall of Fame Honors in, in New York City. So it was awesome. I mean, all that stuff. Disney Spirit Award from ESPN, like, really, really cool, you know. And uh, uh, now I look like a, like a joker because I'm bragging to myself, but it's your fault. You asked me to. You don't, you don't look like a joker at all. I, I tell you, you should be extremely proud of all the accolades that you were able to receive. But now, okay, you're getting these awards. Was the NFL calling you, or were you calling them? Did you hire an agent? What happened? Yeah, they definitely were. <laughs> they definitely were banging down my door. But you know what? I got I got invited to play in the senior all star game uh, down in Charleston, and it was the Medal of Honor Bowl. So they don't even that game doesn't even exist anymore. The sponsorships change quite a bit. You know, we've got the Reese's Senior Bowl and the East West Shrine game that more people are aware of. But you know, for a few years, they had this Medal of Honor Bowl. And that was cool just in its own regard because they had all these Medal of, Medal of Honor recipients that would go to the game and they had like a special dinner for the players and it was really cool. So I get to play in this game and it's like, it's a fun, it's an all-star game, man. No one's trying to, you know, break any records out there. No one's trying to, uh, you know, just absolutely destroy anybody. But in the practices that week leading up, they're, they're very competitive and they have NFL scouts come to these practices and, and GMs and like, you know, coaches and they watch the players and they evaluate. And I didn't know that. So, I mean, I'm down there and I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, cause some of the guys were, I mean, pretty high drafted dudes. And uh, actually one of the guys we played in the game with, he ran the fastest time at the 40 that at the combine that year in the 40 and, and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, I'm out there and I had four teams that met with me. Like they wanted to sit down and talk to me about, Hey, are you considering, you know, I was like, you know, I just turned 34. Right. You know, <laughs> And they're like, yeah, we know, but we also know there's other intangibles you can bring to the locker room and you're good at long snapping. You're going to have to put some weight on. You're going to put on about 30 pounds, but you know, you have, uh, you have some ability and, and I mean, you should give it a shot if you're considering. So that was enough for me just for them, for any, if, even if it's just one of them that would have said that I would have said, all right, screw it. I'm going to go for it. So, uh, so I did. And I came back to, 
I came back to Los Angeles, actually. I finished my master's degree doing an internship with uh, Peter Berg, who does, uh, he did like Friday Night Lights and Lone Survivor and a lot of football-related, military-related movies. And I want to learn about finally circling back on learning about all that stuff. But at the same time, I was training at Jay Glazer's gym, uh, Unbreakable Performance Center. And I was putting weight on, I was eating like crazy. I was waking up in the middle of the night, eating PBJ and drinking muscle milks and and, uh, you know, just t- t- I cut out the cardio and I was just doing lifting and like speed and power drills. And I was able to put on a good amount of weight, probably too much in some people's eyes. But uh, because of that, I got the opportunity with the Seahawks. Draft rolled around. I didn't get, you know, I didn't get drafted. But as soon as it was over, I had the, the Seahawks and the Rams both called and asked if I wanted to sign as a free agent. And I went with Seattle because they'd been to back to back Super Bowls, you know, and yeah, it was maybe a greater challenge, but I knew I would regret it if I didn't go for go for go for it all. And it was the same mentality with going to Texas because I had people, plenty of people, friends of mine in the in the special forces, even that they were like, "Hey, man, it's Texas, though. Like, why don't you go to you know a school that's maybe not quite as you know legendary in football?" And I'm glad I did it, though. I mean, I wouldn't go anywhere else. We weren't even like a championship team. And the same thing with the Seahawks. I ended up I only played in one game, but. Uh, just to be on the field with, I mean, with Marshawn Lynch and Richard Sherman and Russell Wilson. And I mean, so many legends, uh, was, was awesome. And it, and it, uh, as long as it lasted, it was, it was the right move. I'm, I'm, I'm positive. Even just having that uniform on and running out and running down that tunnel. Right. Yeah. You know, that, that's a cool point. So in college, um, and it's a tradition that started, uh, you know, not a few years after 9-11, I think. But a lot of teams, they have a player lean, run out of the tunnel with the American flag, leading the team out, right? And so I got to do it every game in college at Texas because the way that, that it was set up there, it was like, okay, if you have a family member in the military, you, you know, every other week or so, a different player would get an opportunity to do it. Since I was actually in the military, I got to do it every week. And so I was always running out of the tunnel with that flag, leading the team. And it was really cool for me because you know for me those symbols as I'm sure we'll talk about later they mean something very very special to me um you know very personal and I always thought about those the men and women still fighting overseas those that have paid the ultimate sacrifice when I had in those moments before the game and it kind of helped me settle into like all right this is a great opportunity but this is just football you know and there's there's things that are much more important to remember um and it, it helped relax me and and uh and then being able to you know, just, just lead the team out with that flag and the crowd goes crazy. And I don't know if they're cheering for the flag. It doesn't matter to me. It's just, that's what it feels like. And then, uh, the one game I played in Seattle, I got asked to do that. The, the equipment manager came up to me in the locker room and said, Hey, do you want to lead the team out of the tunnel with the flag? And I was like, you're damn right. I do. <laughs> I would love that. And, uh, so I did, you know, and it was, it was, it was awesome. I, I mean, like I said, I played in one game and it was in uh, CenturyLink field and I lead the team t- team out of the tunnel with that flag and then I'm on the sidelines before the game and in college we're still in the locker room when they sing the anthem and obviously everybody knows now that's not the case in the NFL the players are on the field you know and the teams are um, on the sideline and so the anthem starts playing and I like you know I'm, I look for I find the tallest flag in the building and I face it I put my hand on my heart and as soon as the first words came out the first line I started crying I just was like so I mean, it was a lot of things. I was very proud of, of the, getting that opportunity in that moment. I thought about like my younger self and the co- lack of confidence I had and just who I was and who I am now. And then I thought about, you know, the, I carried my best friend 
um, who passed away in 2012, I carried his casket uh, at his funeral, you know, I was draped in an American flag. And um, I know how proud he would have been to see that moment and all those things. So like, you know, I, and after it was over, uh, you know, uh, Earl Thomas and, uh, and, and Michael Bennett and Bobby Wagner and all those other players I mentioned earlier, they all came over and like hugged on me and like, it was really cool. So I, you know, I played in the second half of that game and, and I did great. Ended, ended up getting cut later, but what always sticks out to me in memory of that game was, is that moment. Um, and it was, uh, it was, it was very special to me. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I look back. Well, you, you said you stood with your hand on your heart. I literally, since since really 1974, when I entered the military, I always just stand at attention, no matter what my uniform is, whether I be in a suit, a tie, a t-shirt, gym shorts, doesn't matter. I just stand at attention. And, you know, thumbs beside the seams of my pants. And I, I lock in and stand as proudly as I can. And I've done that for the last now 40 years, you know, which is this. It's saying now you met Colin Kaepernick because uh, he's a quarterback at the Seahawks at the time, right? And no, he was uh, 49ers, 49ers. 49ers. You knew him though, right? You know what? I didn't. The story with that is, so I grew up in the Bay Area, a huge 49er fan. So when, when I was, when I was a kid, it was, it was Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Roger Craig, Ronnie Lott, you know, they won five Super Bowls in my childhood. And so I was always a big fan. And then we were, we sucked for years. <laughs> we sucked for like 15 years after Steve Young until Colin Kaepernick. And when he came, he brought us back to the Super Bowl, almost won it, back to the NFC Championship the next year. I was a huge fan, you know. And it was like, and I remember when he first got drafted, thinking, I was watching him in preseason games and he was getting his opportunities. I was like, they should start this guy. There's something about him. Like he just plays the game different. He's electric. He's an incredible athlete. And uh, I just, I, I don't know. I was just on, I was on board. Eventually got his his opportunity and shined for two years, and so I I was I was always like you know a big cap fan even and even in 2014, the former backup quarterback for the 49ers used to be his name's Colt McCoy. He almost won the Heisman Trophy at Texas. He was a legend, and so he was on the team with Colin. And I would communicate with Colt, and he was like, "Oh yeah, Colin's like big supporter of the military, all these things." And so we had this fundraiser at Texas for this student organization that was making care packages for deployed troops. And Colin donated a football signed by him that said, God bless our troops on it, that we could auction off to raise money for it. Well, the highest bidder was my dad (laughs) because he really wanted the football. So the football sits in my house and it says, Colin Kaepernick and Colt McCoy both signed it. And it says, God bless our troops on it. So then, then, like you said, 2000 and uh, so this is one year after I got cut, almost exactly 2016 in the preseason, Colin starts sitting on the bench. Right. And he's asked about why. And he says, 
look, I'm not going to stand for a flag that oppresses black people and people of color. There's, there's people dying in the streets. Um, you know, law enforcement is not being held accountable for actions with police brutality, uh, you know, social, social and uh, social injustice, racial inequality. Um, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is why I'm sitting during the anthem because I don't feel inspired to stand. And everybody, of course, had an opinion on it, including me, and a, and a reaction. I mean, I was I was hurt. Everyone's like, "Weren't you pissed off?" And I'm like, "I mean, yeah, but I was more hurt because I was like, this is my guy. Like, I pull for this guy, and like, ah, you know." And 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 my my initial thoughts were like oppression. And go to Darfur, go to Iraq, go to Afghanistan. That's not oppression. This isn't oppression. You know what I mean? That was all the things that ran through my head. Not really listening to him or you know, caring to empathize in the moment because of just how I felt, you know, like I, like I was saying that my experiences shaped my beliefs and my emotions to this whole thing. Um, so I sat back on it for a couple of days and like, I was getting reached out to from CNN and Fox news and MSNBC and, you know, all of them, uh, you know, as everybody knows, it's like, there's a bit of a slant or an assumption that if you go on one of those networks, you uh, you pledge allegiance to that ideal or whatever, you know what I mean? And I didn't want to do that because for me, I'm a pretty, I'm, I see myself as like, I call it the radical middle. I'm a pretty centrist guy. I, more than anything, I support constitutional rights. And like, that's the oath I took when I joined the military to defend the constitution, you know, which obviously includes the first amendment. So, and I don't always have to like or agree, but that's what I fought for. That's what we all fought for when we signed up. And so instead of going on one of those, you know, one uh, of the networks and, and maybe they pick somebody with a different viewpoint and we argue and nothing really comes of it. It's set up for conflict. They want to make sure that you come on and you have to take the ugly, ugly stand and he takes the ugly stand and then you battle it out in the middle of and walk away with nothing actually solved, just the battle. Let me hold your thought right there for a half a second because I do have to take a little break to pay some bills. Let me take this break. And we'll be back right after this. And we're back. And thanks so much for joining us today with Mr. Nate Boyer, who really a lot of people do not understand in some ways how the majority of today's conversation needs to be steeped in Mr. Boyer's reality. Because Mr. Boyer is, I'm going to say, not responsible for, but a contributor to a debate that's been going on and raging in this country, and you don't even know that he was a part of the debate. And it really wasn't about the debate. It was just about how to see if he can make some people come to an understanding, which is really, I think, what we all need to do today. So, Nate, again, thank you so much for being here, sir. Thank you very much, Montel. I appreciate it, brother. Absolutely, brother. You know, and, and, and you know, your explanation so far as to, you know, how you really felt. I got to tell you, I was also one of those people who literally the first time I saw people sitting during the national anthem, I was like, are you kidding me? You know, really, would somebody smack the crap? I, and I understand, listen to me, I was in 100% support of our Olympic athletes holding a fist in the air at the Olympics. I was 100% behind that. Felt that that was the right thing to do at the time. But I got caught up in the wrong idea of what the argument was even about. I know that I was upset about the fact that Colin was seated first, and that's what I heard about. I didn't even see the first time that he took a knee. 
But then when I heard about a conversation, I guess you must have had with him. Is that right? Yeah. And he decided to take that knee. I'm going to tell you, my heart changed 180 degrees out. 180 out immediately. I said, wait, stop. If I really believed I do solemnly swear to form the house, support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, I shouldn't have been upset in the beginning. But go ahead and explain to us now, you know, so, you know, you saw this and of course it was disappointing to you, but at the same time you understood his and had empathy for his feelings. Yeah, I, I started to think about and, and, and read and listen, uh, I guess, more than um, just let myself feel a certain way. I mean, I, I, you can't control the way that you feel, but you can control how you react to it for sure. And, uh, and so I, I was glad, I'm happy that I didn't just, um, I didn't just act on impulse and I didn't just, uh, respond with like, yeah, but you know, you don't know this because of my experience, because it wasn't, first of all, it's not going to help anything. And second of all, it doesn't really matter in the moment. It's not about me. It's not even about Colin really. It's about what he was doing. And so took a step back and I listened more to about what he was saying and I listened to the way that he was articulating it and nothing he was doing um, was violent and nothing he was doing really sounded that angry. I mean, he wasn't happy. You could tell by the way he was talking, but he wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like, you know, these are my demands, this better happen or else anything like that. It was just, this is why I'm doing it. And I don't think this is right. I don't think I think that, uh, and this isn't about the military. And I think that, you know, that flag is supposed to represent everybody equally. And I don't think it does. I don't think it feels that way. I was like, okay, that's fair. Um, and, and that thought, which I put it, I ended up putting it all in an open letter. These thoughts of like an open letter to Colin, these thoughts of, well, this is where I, why I feel the way I feel. These are my experiences. This is the type of, of stuff that I've seen and experienced overseas, which I think is very different, but for me to pretend to know what you've experienced or people that you're standing up for or sitting down for, or whatever you want to call it is unfair. I'm, I, I will always be a white man. I've always been a white man and all the, and the only white man I know how to be, or, or the only white man I have experience of my, of, of the, uh, their background is myself and like what I've experienced. So long, you know, long story short, I, I don't know. I don't know you. I just know me. And it's unfair to me to, to make judgments about you or assumptions about you and why you're doing what you're doing. So Colin, I want you to understand that um, this was all in that letter that uh, I joined the military to fight for those that can't fight for themselves and to defend those first amendment rights in the constitution. And you are exercising those. So I support that, you know, and I look forward to the day that you're one day uh, inspired to stand again when the anthems played and signed it. You know, that was it. And I, I wrote it for the Army Times. <laughs> you know about the military time. Not that many people read it. Like, let's be honest. Not that many people read it. And the reason I did it there, because I knew they weren't going to take my stuff out of context. They told me I could write whatever I want. And they didn't, They because, they, uh, you know, other publications were like, can you write an op-ed, which to me, felt like they wanted me to take a stand, take a side, take, make an opinion. And, and I just, whatever. So I wrote it that way. I send it to them uh, that night and I wake up in the morning and 10 times more than any 
you know, like even when I had that opportunity with the Seahawks and there was some media stuff surrounding that 10 times more uh, buzz around this shared everywhere. Uh, my email inbox is blown up. My voicemails full, all this stuff. And I was like, I was kind of surprised. I thought, honestly, I panicked a little bit and I thought maybe I wrote something <laughs> like something got taken out of context or I, maybe I should have double checked. I had a glass of wine when I was writing the thing. So maybe I, <laughs> maybe I screwed up, you know? And, uh, and I went back and, and, and saw what people were responding to. And it was really just, it was, I think, I don't want to put a number on it, but we'll say 80% or whatever, not even 90% of the country is pretty damn reasonable. And we're like, you know, I think they appreciated just a, somebody that was like, look, I feel this way, but it's not right or wrong that you feel that way. And you're not hurting anybody. And what you're trying to do and, and accomplish is about making our country better. You know, I mean, I think, and as we see it now, especially these last couple of weeks, everybody wants to see better police, you know, policing and, and criminal justice reform, like for the most part, I mean, there's going to be some people that don't, but like most people are like, yeah, this needs to be better. We need to fix it. And that's what he was trying to do. So Colin even read it and he reached out, he called me and said he wanted to meet. And I was like, wow, this is like, that's, that's crazy. But I mean, this is important. Of course I would love to. So I go down to San Diego. They're playing the Chargers in the, when the Chargers were still in San Diego in the final preseason game of 2016. You know, it's military appreciation night. It's just like a, maybe a week before 9-11, um, which would be the 15th anniversary. Uh, there's going to be a flyover with Navy SEALs jumping in the stadium. And there's an African-American sailor who's going to sing the anthem on the field pregame. It's a very military town, all these things. So there's definitely like, Oh, he better not sit. You know, he better not do this, better not do that. And he'd already committed and said, like, I'm not going to stand until things start to change. And uh, so I go down there. I meet with him in the lobby of the team hotel like a few hours before kickoff, which is unheard of. Usually at that time, you know, you're in team meetings. You're getting ready to get on the bus, go to the stadium with the team, warm up, play the game. But, uh, you know, the co Chip Kelly was a coach at the time. Uh, and uh, who's a good friend. Jed York is one of the most progressive owners in the league. All these people are like, yeah, this is important. Like, absolutely sit down and have that conversation. And, uh, and that night, Colin was going to start in the game too. And so we sit down. Eric Reed joins us in the lobby. We have this conversation. We just talk about our backgrounds, experiences. We sat there for an hour and a half, maybe two hours. We laughed at a lot of stuff. We made fun of each other. I mean, it was just like two dudes in a locker room having a conversation, you know, that's like, once we get away from the social media and we get away from, you know, we just like you and me are talking right now. It's just so different. And, uh, and it was great. And I was like, I got a sense of who he was and that was important for me. I, I didn't want to feel like this was, is this a media stunt? Is he wanting to meet with me? And like, so he can say, see, look, I sat down with a veteran. I, I don't hate the military. And it, and it wasn't like that at all. And the end of the conversation, he actually asked me, Nate, do you think, there's a different way I could demonstrate a different way I could protest. That's not going to offend people in the military. I said, absolutely not. <laughs> There's nothing you can do. That's not going to offend some people. And honestly, uh, more importantly, if you're not inspired to stand, if you don't feel the pride that I feel, or even like a sense of that at all, I don't want you to do anything out of obligation. I think that that is worse to be honest, you know? Um, 
to, to, to feel like you have to, you have to stand because of this and that, if you don't feel that kind of inspiration, I said, I, I, I respect that. Um, but to answer your question, no matter what you do, people are going to be upset. But if you think, if you're asking me what I think would be maybe seen by some as more respectful, I said right now, and this is just me talking, you sitting on the bench isolated from the rest of the team can be construed as like, oh, he just doesn't care. Or he's kind of sitting this one out. Or maybe even that he's like making it about him because he's away from the team. And I said, after talking to you, I know that's not what you're about. I don't get that sense. So I think the most important thing is to be alongside your teammates um, because you're going to go on the field and play with those guys. You know, you're going to be in the locker room with them. And I know from being in the military and playing football, like we all, we stand shoulder to shoulder with those people. We don't always agree. I mean, I'm sure you had plenty of people you didn't like and didn't agree with in the military, but we put it aside for the most part when we go out there and do our job because we still love them. We still take a bowl for them. We still fight for them. And if they're trying to do something good, maybe, maybe they got a different, different way of going about it that we don't like, but if they're still trying to make things better then you know, we got to respect that. So I said, I think the only option you got that makes sense to me would be taking a knee if you're not going to stand. Cause he said, I'm committed to not standing. And I said, uh, to me, kneeling has never been seen as disrespectful. People take a knee to pray and, you know, propose to their wives and the players on the hurt, hurt on the game, they take a knee out of respect. And when I go to Arlington to visit my buddies, you know, that I carried in that casket, I take a knee at his grave every time and I spend a few minutes, minutes. And I just, it's like, it's like taking a time out for a second, you know, and, uh, it's a sign of reverence in some ways. And, and uh, it's almost like a flag is flown at half mast. I mean, there's so many different different ways you can you can slice this up and kind of you know digest it and look at it. But I thought it was more respectful, and he he agreed. Just that sentiment right there alone. Actually, I've been talking about that now on podcasts and on interviews for weeks now about the fact that never before in the last maybe two millennia has taken a knee ever been disrespectful. You know, when the king and queen walked by a thousand years ago, people dropped to a knee. When people go to church every Sunday around the world, multiple religions, from Catholic to Episcopalian to Baptist, you name it, they drop to a knee in reverence to pray to God. And I know myself, whenever I go to, or to the, the Vietnam Memorial, I've done so three times in my life. And each time I've been there, I have been on my knee. Every time I've been there, because you know, find the name of somebody who, I know it was a brother of somebody else or someone else that I served with, and I touched up that, that, that name, I dropped to a knee. Every time I've been to any military VA cemetery, I dropped to a knee. So I think that's probably one of the most respectful things. I mean, tell, come on, if you can drop to a knee for God, you can drop to a knee for our flag. There's, there's uh, some pretty iconic photos and videos I've seen too of Martin Luther King and people, and at this point, you know, Back, back then, I wasn't alive, but uh, neither were you, right? I mean, because you're only 40, 40 years old. <laughs> you know, but like he, he often, he often, you know, took, an, he often took a knee with a group of other people, um, you know, and it, whether it was a silent prayer or whether it was a sign of protest, um, it was always a sign of respect, you know what I mean? And I think that that's, uh, my point was, back then you know not everybody respected mlk across the board like pretty much they do now like pretty much now as time has passed same with like muhammad ali and a lot of people in history uh, probably roberto clemente and jackie robinson you know 
countless more. Even like Billie Jean King and Babe Jedrickson, all these, you know, female athletes. It's just, it's really interesting, uh, you know, to kind of see that and think about that. But I think over the last four years, there's still a great amount of people that they just, they see it as disrespectful. That's that period. But I've, I've seen a lot of people more so in these last three weeks, but over the last four years that once they listen and hear of why, and they learn about this conversation and that Colin was sort of, you know, he was willing to give a little and adjust, make an adjustment so that he didn't offend a, a whole nother group of people in, you know, in the military. Like that was his intent behind kneeling. When they hear that, they're like, I still wish he would stand, but I respect, you know, I respect that. I respect that. And, and, and the point of the whole thing anyway is to get people to listen to the message, to the narrative behind it. And that's important. And, and, and I've had so many people reach out recently and even before that, like, what about this? What if they protested this way? Or what if they, you know, any time besides the anthem? Or what if they did it, you know, they all came out of the locker room and took a knee and then they took two minutes to like have a conversation about social justice and then the anthem. I'm like, oh, man, like no matter what, like the reason, the point of the whole thing is to make people uncomfortable and get them talking and hopefully change things, which is happening. So like you can hate the, you can hate the mechanism all day long, but it, if he didn't do it in that way, I don't think we have this conversation at this level. I really don't. Yeah, but, but, but now, the, the back up again, go back to 2016, were you surprised at the reaction when he took that knee that day? I mean, you were driving down the road and went, oh, no, I told him to do that, Lord. Right? No, I mean, were you surprised by the reaction of the public to this? Um, uh, I just, I think, not surprised, surprised by the action, reaction, surprised by the traction, you know, and like how how much it became it's it snowballed quickly and became a very almost a divisive topic well yes a divisive topic divisive conversation the irony in that to me was you know we had this conversation um colin asked me not like hey man kneel with me but he said would you kneel personally and i said i won't i said i, I personally don't want to because i don't feel I feel differently when those about those symbols, right? I feel differently about those symbols, but that's because of my experience. And, uh, but I understand you don't have that experience. You don't have that relationship to those things. And you feel very differently about what they, what they have represented in your life. And when other people's life, people of color, I said, and I respect that. I said, I don't want to, but I, but I will stand next to you because I respect what you're doing. And I respect your willingness to listen and make it a pretty big adjustment just over the course of two hours, you know, because I feel like we respect each other and it's, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm on board with that. So I'll stand and I stood next to him, you know, on the field that night during that, during when the anthem played. And man, if you see that picture, I have my hand in my pocket for about half the anthem, which is a no, which is no, no in the military. Right. But it's because of what do we do when we're nervous? <laughs> you know, we put our hands in our pockets or do something like that. It just, I didn't even realize how nervous I was. So I went back and watched the video of it and I saw photos and I'm like, man, can I even imagine how he felt, how he, how nervous he was, you know what I mean? Knowing that he's going to get this backlash. And I remember hearing the boos out of the stands. Uh, there was plenty of people singing the anthem and plenty of great stuff happening. But what stuck out to me was the negative, sadly. There's several, you know, several people booing from behind us the minute he took a knee because it just wasn't exactly what they wanted him to do. 
And, uh, and then just, yeah, just like, that's the only time I think I've heard that song and I didn't feel the welling of emotion and pride. I felt a welling of like nerves and uneasiness. Um, but then I also go back and look at that photo and I think this is really cool too, because it's two people. I don't necessarily see eye to eye on everything, have totally different experiences, skin colors, you know, beliefs, whatever. Um, they still respect one another. They're willing to be next to each other and not only have a conversation, but come to some sort of a solution uh, where they both feel like they were heard and, and, and move forward. And I was like, that's, that's a really cool lesson, as you said earlier, like for the country, you know, even though I didn't realize the impact it would have it any, in any way, I'm just like, when I look back on it, I'm like, man, I'm almost glad I was pretty naive to a lot of the things going on. Cause I don't know if I would have done that. I might've chickened out and been like, wow, it's going to be, I'm going to get ripped by the, you know, by the military community and by the whatever I'm going to get, I'm going to get ostracized and maybe I wouldn't have done it. So in some ways I'm, I'm kind of glad I was ignorant in some, in, 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 to a lot of the stuff at the, at the, at the get go. Do you have kids? Do you have kids? I don't have kids. Not that I know of. <laughs> right, no, along the way. I, I say it again. You plan on getting married and having something along the way, or I do, I do. I'm gonna be an old dad. But but as an old dad, don't you think you're gonna be proud sitting down one day thinking to yourself that it's your conversation that sparked a landslide reaction in America that may lead to a better America? I I already am proud that I was just that I was just part of that conversation. I, I I'm proud of my willingness to at least take a leap of faith and, and just go forward and, and, and go, you know, and go sit, sit down with the guy and even write that letter. Like I am very proud of that. I'm very proud of that. E even if man, even if it takes way too long for things to change, um, which in a lot of ways it has, you know, I mean, yes, we've abolished slavery. Yes. We had the civil rights movement, but there's still, and it's not, you know, there's not like necessarily legal segregation, but there still is segregation. There still is inequality. There still is way too much racism and intolerance for other people and a lack of listening, a lack of just consideration and empathy for somebody else's experience that um, I think, I hope it will be a, a, at least a small piece of moving that forward, getting that fixed, ironing that out. I mean, it's never going to be perfect, never going to be perfect. But if it's, if it's getting better, if it's made it better in any way, um, that's great. And I, and I am, I am proud of that. I'm, you know, whenever I do have kids down the road, uh, you know, I will share that with them and I'll probably, they'll probably get annoyed by it. Be like, Oh, dad's bragging about dad's bragging about, uh, uh, you know, his, his being a social justice warrior again or whatever. But, uh, no, I am proud of that. And it's something I never would have thought I'd have been involved in or had the conversation about, honestly, even that week, it's just something that didn't cross my mind. You know, it was like, well, I'll do, I'll do, a, maybe I'll do a lot help the veteran community you know with my life and I still do that and I love the veteran community I think we're uh the most diverse microcosm in America and we're going to be a big part along with athletes of bringing this nation back together and fixing things that point aside I never thought this would be a part of my life um but I'm I'm glad that it is I'm really glad that it is you know I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation but I would wish that this conversation I would have seen this conversation I'm telling you the truth I wish I would have seen our conversation in 60 minutes I wish I would have seen our conversation on 2020. I wish I would have seen our conversation on CNN and Fox News all simultaneously running this conversation so people could just take a minute, pause, 
to understand. As you look at what's happened in the last now 21 days, and the night's going to mark what day, day number 22 of demonstrations around America, I will tell you that 99% of the people that are demonstrating do not know anything about the conversation that you and I have just had. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. And it's, you know, it's uh, what sells. <laughs> You know what I mean? But unfortunately, it's 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 hate, it's division, it's it's ugliness. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why that where that comes from. If it's a, if it's a human failure or something that has been injected into us, I don't know. And, and that hurts me. And that frustrates me because you're absolutely right. Um, the, and the more I, and and I've been a lot of my close friends. They say, "Why do you engage with people on social media? Why do you even try? Like, just let them be haters and blah blah blah." And that's the reason what you just said, even if it's just one person, like it drives me nuts. It consumes way too much of my life, but I do it. And I try to do it no matter what side, because I've had plenty of people. Um, we'll just call it on the, on the left side of this argument, uh, you know, that have, have said, you know, Oh, oh you know, you, you, why don't, because you don't kneel or because you don't um, be, because you, you, you know, Colin, did something else because of your conversation. Like, you know, you made him an uncle Tom or you've co-opted the narrative or you're like, how can you say that, you know, that, that most cops are good people or whatever. How can you say these things? Like that's, that's wrong. That's right. Whatever. And obviously we know all about the other side of that, you know, and that's uh, the most painful part is getting, getting hate from the special forces community from the green beret brothers, guys I served with or guys that I didn't serve with that, but they don't know. So many of them don't understand or don't, care to read or listen to these conversations it's just they see an image or they see a headline or a headline gets something gets taken out of a context from a conversation and boom that's the headline and it just it doesn't it doesn't ever it doesn't ever get told properly and uh it, it, it's crazy I, I don't know why i don't know why that hasn't happened um i, I think it's very important but I'm glad you're doing it. <laughs> Thank you so much. But it seems like to me, it's like what we've discussed is the focal point of what the discussion should be right now when it comes to policing. You know, yes, in fact, there are bad apples. There's no question. I will not sit here and say that every police officer is a bad police officer. I'm not going to do it because it's not true. Now, the fact that some of the good police officers won't call out the bad police officers, I will hold you accountable for that. If you really want to be a good police officer, you should tell your teammate to chill you, you know what out or know that's wrong and be willing to turn in a person who's done something wrong. I feel that way 100%, but I also feel that we got to be able to have the conversation just like the conversation that you and Colin had in that lobby, it's time for both sides to stop building walls in that lobby, but sit down at a table in that lobby and have a conversation about, okay, guess what? This is how we got here, but we're not going to get any further unless we talk. How do we get people to understand that even more do you have a, a ongoing podcast or a you know uh something that you put out on a daily basis or not i don't <laughs> uh I, you know I, I, i've thought about doing something like that but then 
I, I you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't, and maybe I, maybe I should consider, you know, doing something like that, but I just think it, it, it takes a willingness. It takes a willingness for people to swallow, swallow, uh, swallow some pride, you know, and sit down. I, I think it's a very powerful when I see people, two people that have completely different opinions and ideals on something, to not only have a, you know, the conversation through a, through Twitter or whatever, but the, like this, where it's like, it's face to face. You can hear them and you can see them and they can relate their experience and, to wh- and why they feel like they feel. It's very healthy. Um, but we, you know, we, d- we don't see that enough. Um, but I try to, I try, I, I try to push that in every interview that I do. Anybody I talk to, you know, opportunities like this, cause I always say this, I always say, I don't speak for the military community. I don't speak for the veteran community. Sorry, it's starting to rain in the truck. I don't know if it's getting loud here. <laughs> but I don't speak for anybody but myself. Um, and I stand for anybody, for anybody's rights and freedoms, if they're doing it in a respectful way, if they're about making this country better or this world better, if they're about positive change in some way, then I respect that and I support that. And, uh, and, you know, and, I, and I always will. Um, but at the same time, like, I'm also willing to have a conversation with anybody that feels completely different than, differently than me, you know, and has, and, and, and we're, man, we're, America is an incredible place. It is all over the map. We got people from everywhere believing every different thing. And it's like, I, I love that about this place. We're also the most charitable country. And, you know, you know, from a military experience, like we're willing, we got so many young men and women every year. They're willing to take that oath to defend it and to go overseas and fight for people they can't fight for themselves. You know what I mean? And take politics out of that stuff. Most of the people that that volunteer, it's about doing something honorable, you know, and they do want to represent the country in a positive way. And uh, I just think for people to have this mindset of because it's not the way I see it, it's not what I think is honorable or it's not... Um, it's not what I see as, as, as correct or patriotic or whatever, that it's just evil <laughs> or wrong or unpatriotic. It's so sick. You know, it's so sick. And, and I don't even think most people that say it actually believe it. It's just like, you know, it's just there's, there's, a, there's just so much. A lot of that, I think, is people. It's a hate for their self, you know, and they and they project it. It's something they don't love about themselves. They don't feel like they do anything that matters or whatever. And they project it and they just want to tear down somebody that's trying to do something. They're just trying, you know, and they may never achieve it, but they're trying. And that breaks my heart. That breaks my heart more than anything, you know, to, to fight for this country and then to see the to see how divided it is, to see how people won't even, you know, they don't care to listen. They don't respect one another. Um, that's that's painful. But all we can do is keep trying, I think. Keep trying. What's next for Nate Boyer? What's next? What's what's what do you have planned? What do you up to right now? What are you thinking about? Yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I have circled back on the I, I, storytelling has always been an important part of my life. When I was a kid, when I was deployed, all these times, like stories, you know, uh, inspirational stories, stories of people overcoming, um, stories like this, you know, like what we just talked about, have inspired me and got me through some tough stuff. So I came back to Los Angeles. I'm pursuing that film dream. I actually produced my first feature film in January that we're in post on right now, post-production. But more importantly, 
um, is, is some of the charity stuff I'm fortunately involved with. You know, I, I co-founded something called MVP, which stands for Merging Vets and Players. We bring together combat vets and former professional athletes, and we help them find purpose and identity once the uniform comes off. And to see that group now, to see these, you know, the battlefield and the ball field are very different spaces. I would never compare what we do on the field, but the locker room, camaraderie, um, and the, the loss of um, the loss of self, you know, and who you are, the belonging is very similar. And you're in your 20s and 30s, typically um, lucky if you're in your 40s and it's gone. It's like you never got the, you don't have the team anymore and you feel like I'll never be great again. To hear, to hear Hall, NFL Hall of Famers like Tony Gonzalez and some of our, you know, Marines from 2-7 uh, who got, you know, back-to-back deployments in, in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and lost 29 guys and that one battalion's lost 45 to suicide since then. To hear these people who have what you would think very little in common are go, to go through the same stuff, you know, and to like talk about it and relate on such a human level is really inspiring because – I think that's once again a place our country needs to continue to pursue. You know, it's just that empathy and understanding and listening and then working together to solve these problems. Like we can all be a part of the solution. So got that going on. And then the other thing real quick is, is a clean water project in East Africa with Chris Long. So Chris Long, um, NFL, you know, played in the NFL for I think a dozen years, a couple of Super Bowls. His dad was Howie Long. Everybody remembers Howie. So Chris has started a clean water project in East Africa where former NFL players and uh, now combat veterans. Every year we go out to Tanzania and we climb Mount Kilimanjaro and raise money for these clean water wells. And it's been pretty incredible so far. We've had over a million people served and and just the opportunity to go over there and see how grateful these people are for just the simple things, you know, the, the basic clean water, food, basic shelter, you know, an education. A lot of times schools are built by these water wells it's incredible to see. So like, I, I'm always inspired by that because I know there's so much in the world we can all do. And there's so much to be grateful for here amidst all the, the tough stuff we're seeing every day. Just remembering like how, how lucky we are that we have these freedoms. We have the opportunity to change on such a great level. And then we can still, and we can still uh, fight for those people as well and help them um, you know, achieve just this, just the simple, the basics, you know, just the, the simple things in life that we all take for granted for. Well, hey, boy, I got to tell you, sir, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you do. And thank you for what you're going to do. We need people like you to make sure, like I said, and I say it all the time, it took all of us, no matter how disparaged we were and how disjointed we have been, it took all of us to get here. We are not going to make it any further if not all of it. We don't all come together to figure out how to take the next step forward. And you're leading in those conversations of how we take the next step forward. So thank you, sir. I want to thank you all for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Make sure you tune in again. Last name but not least, I can't go without saying thank you for your service. And it's not just the service that you had as a Green Beret, but thank you for your service and continue to service as a citizen of this country and a citizen of the world. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Montel. I appreciate your service as well, bro. Past and present and future. Yes, sir. You be well. Join us on the next. Let's be blunt with Montel. Are you- 
Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday. 